Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, you and I joke a lot about how once we stop recording, the Mets do stuff. And we recorded the podcast on Thursday, and on Friday, they threw a combined no-hitter. So <laughs> does that count? Is that the continuation of our like curse of podcasting? Yeah, I think we might as well take some credit there, right? Yeah, well, we, we can claim it, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um... I guess the only caveat is that it's not something that we specifically talked about. <laughs> right. That's true. <laughs> on on that episode, but it does feel like um hours or I don't know. Within 24 hours of recording a podcast, something happens. Yes. Always. So always always always. So yeah, that 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 pretty much met that threshold. I guess it was the next day. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, that was how the week started. Yeah. So, you know, you and I have had uh, a couple of conversations offline about, uh, the no hitter, the combined no hitter, and just about how it certainly feels very different than, um, than like the the Santana no hitter did for a number of reasons, and I, I think that a combined no hitter versus a single player no hitter are very different things. I also think that uh, because the team had never had a no hitter before, the Johan one felt even more substantial and significant, and because it was 
at the time the best pitcher on the team. It felt more, um, I don't know, it just, there was a very different feel watching the no hitter in 2012 versus the no hitter in 2022. Uh, I presume you feel similarly to that? Yeah. Yeah. I, so I think I've gained some appreciation for this combined no hitter over the last week. But I'll be honest, in the moment, like it, I knew they hadn't allowed any hits, but the fact that it wasn't one pitcher, I wasn't hanging on every pitch. Um, For example, a friend of mine texted me that uh, he's, you know, we're we're watching the game. One of my friends who I regular text during games and uh, he sends me a text and says that he sat on the floor and now he can't get up. And I'm like, oh yeah, we're we're getting old, man. Right, exactly. I'm like, I'm using some heat and ice on my on my neck, and and you know, like I hear that, and it just it was the seventh or eighth inning, and it just hadn't dawned on me that it was a baseball fan superstition thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was watching the game, I was paying attention. I knew the Phillies had no hits, and and I I think I appreciate it a little bit more now than I did during the game, like it, in real time. I just, and I know Jerry Blevins had a similar reaction to it afterwards, uh, where it was just like, yeah, cool. Like, that's a neat thing that happened, but it just didn't hit me in the way that the Johan one did. Um, Most franchises have more than one no hitter to to work with. So, yeah, it it is cool that it was the second one, but but I, I can appreciate it more while also still thinking that the best part of it is like the Phillies couldn't even get a hit against Joely Rodriguez. That's hilarious. Right. Right. Phillies embarrassment is what I'm in it for. Like it didn't feel, I know it was historic because of um, the lack of, of no hitters in franchise history, but Mm -hmm. it's more like a, like a Nelson moment with the Phillies. Right. For me, which is great. Like embarrassing the Phillies is great. (laughs) <laughs> so um, it's funny. I, I have now been present at both games after Mets no hitters. I had a ticket. The first no hitter happened the day before my thirtieth birthday. So I had tickets with friends of mine to go on my thirtieth birthday on June second, which is obviously the day after the no hitter. And so I was at that game. And then uh, a friend of ours had their birthday last weekend. We celebrated at City Field. And so um, I was at the game, the game after no hitter also. But for the first no hitter, I was I was at a work dinner that I did not want to be at, but it was an obligation. We used to do a twice yearly, like go out to dinner with everybody. And my phone keeps ringing in my pocket. I'm trying to be a nice guy and not pull out my phone and whatever, but it keeps happening. So I, I finally, she myself to go to the bathroom, pick up the phone with my brother-in-law. I'm like, what's up, Pete? He goes, wherever you are, get to a TV. Because it was like the bottom of the sixth, I think, or maybe bottom of the seventh. And yeah. so this was getting real now. And so I basically went to my boss and was like, hey, I'm going to be at the bar for a while. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, the Mets are throwing a no-hitter. He's like, so? I was like, whatever. Don't worry about it. And I just went there, <laughs> and, and I'm hugging strangers and all this, right? So uh, it was a fun night. This time, we uh, were home. I put the kids to bed. And I realized, oh, it's the bottom of the fifth. There's no hits. And I have a brother-in-law who's a big Mets fan. And so I just texted him. Different one that called me, actually, than the no-hitter. That brother-in-law that called me is a Yankees fan, believe it or not. But um, he called, I texted him and was like, hey, uh, is it, you know, no hits through five. 
And he said, oh, I'm not even watching the game. Thanks for letting me know. And then at that point, there was like, my phone just kept blowing up. People texting, texting, texting. And so it, it became fun because everybody suddenly got into it. But I don't know if it was, if I was taking this in isolation, if I'd have felt as excited as I did by the end of it. My whole thing is this. The world is goddamn terrible right now. Like we are living in in the dumbest possible timeline of the world. And I don't care if it's quote as legitimate as a as another kind of a no-hitter or not. It brought me joy for you know a couple of hours and it was really fun and it's a cool thing and the Mets seem to have a lot of fun with it and maybe it makes people take notice of this team a little bit. All that's good stuff. And so I am I am happy to celebrate it. That said, I still don't think a combined no hitter is the same as a no as a single pitcher no hitter. It's just not. I'm not saying one is better or worse. I actually read something that said that this is actually harder to do because you know, like for instance, I don't think that the Johan no hitter was the best I ever saw Johan pitch. I I you know, that penultimate game of the season in uh was it 2008 Eight, I think it was like that was the best Johan I had ever seen pitch. Even though he gave up a hit or two that game, I forget exactly what his line was, but that was that was the best I had ever seen him pitch as a Met. Right, and that that's uh, a very Metsy thing to be. That, that's like the Tom Seaver level start. Yes, exactly. You were right. so dominant. The one hit was a, or one or two hits, whatever. You know, Johan did it. Dickey did it. Um, others have done similar. Where the the one the one or two hits they gave up were just whatever, and you were not going to score against them that night. Right, exactly. Um, but like we've all seen like dominant pitching performances before. Um, I would rather be watching. It would have been really cool to see Degrom throw a no hitter, or to see Cindergaard a couple years ago do it. Matt Harvey a couple years ago. Like, there's something about that dominant pitching performance where you just like know what's happening. And from a catching standpoint, you know, they say you know once you know that your guy's slider is working, you can then call for the slider in different places, and you have confidence they're going to hit their spots. When you have five different pitchers you have to deal with five different levels of performance in the game. One guy may not be on. I mean, for, for the Mets, really, only Diaz looked fantastic. McGill looked very good, but only Diaz looked fantastic in that combined no-hitter. So in a way, it is more difficult, I think, to get five guys on that exact same page. So, you know, I get it. Um, I get why it's a cool thing for McCann. I, guess why I get why it's a cool thing for the, for the players. They may never be, be a part of another no-hitter in their whole careers. Right. And that's great. It's awesome. You know, it's fun. The only backlash that I will throw at this is I don't love the LO. I mean, look, the LOL Mets like thing is getting, I mean, it's been old for a decade now, but it's feeling especially old right now. Yeah. Um, and the sense of like, I've seen a few, a few uh, fans of a different team in pinstripes. I'll say, Basically, say you know that the first no hitter was illegitimate because of Beltran's foul ball that was really a fair ball, and this one's illegitimate because it's a it's a combined no hitter. And I just want to say fuck you for those things because if you went back and you watched any no hitter from any year before replay, something would have happened that game that could have negated it. Yeah, no, I mean there that particular fan base benefited from a. Uh blatantly wrong fair or foul call and 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 i know they've beaten up on the twins many a time in the playoffs 
But Phil Cuzzy made one of the worst calls in playoff history that benefited the Yankees mm-hmm. and uh, was more of an issue, <laughs> more of a blatant miss than that one ball in the uh, in the Johan start. So, right. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, my whole thing is it, this wasn't illegitimate. This was. This is as legitimate as any no-hitter, which means it's probably illegitimate on some level because all these things are fake and there's so much luck and there's so much human error involved with all this. You know, I'm sure there are balls and strikes calls that were that went the Mets' way that night, whatever it is. But it happened and we can't litigate the past, so let's just enjoy this. Because it was fun. Yeah. Whether it's meaningful or not, it was fun. Yeah, 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 no, for sure. And <clears throat> this this could be a... Nice little segue, potentially, depending on the order of topics that we want to talk about. But go for it. Although I didn't attend the next game after the no hitters, I did, unfortunately, attend Johan Santana's next start after his no hitter. Okay. (laughs) Which was against the Yankees. And a guy named Robinson Cano hit two home runs against them that were both like just absolute no doubters. (laughs) Johan got destroyed. The Yankees ran away with the game. Um, I was there. I think it was my dad and brother. Certainly my dad and I, uh, and I think my brother was there too. Uh, and my brother's a Yankees fan. So, not- Wait a second. How has this never come up in the podcast before? Your brother's a Yankees fan? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. How? How did this happen? Well, he was... Born in the mid '90s, so like around the time that you maybe start remembering things. Sure, sure. Was when the Yankees dynasty was like in its prime. So the 2000 World Series that was fun. Having my little brother <laughs> just be able to you know torment me um, over the outcome of that one, but yeah. yeah. Wow, I I don't know how I didn't know that before right now. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, it, yeah, yeah, that's that's a thing. So, so uh, sorry for the derailment. I just I couldn't. My brain broke for a second there. So anyway, yeah, go ahead. yeah, no, no, no. But uh, but yeah, Robinson Cano <laughs> had a hell of a game against Johan Santana, and who knew uh, all these years later that another Mets no hitter and Robinson Cano would. I don't know, be on my mind within the same <laughs> few days. Yeah. So yeah. I was of the mind that despite poor batted ball data and despite a horrendous stat line, that 40 plate appearances was still not enough to say that Cano was toast. Uh, I will... I, I, I'm not upset with the decision they made. But if he resurfaces with another team and he's a very good hitter, uh, which is something he's always been, whether it's been PD-induced or not, uh, I won't be surprised. And I get why the Mets made the decision they did, and I know it made probably 99% of the people listening to this podcast happy. But I do think it's slightly premature to say that he has no chance of turning it around. And the irony there is that it's for the same reasons that you could say he had to be cut. He had missed a whole year last season because of his own suspension, which is his own responsibility. Um, 
and uh, Dom Smith went out and had the game of his life <laughs> in, yes. the night before that decision had to be made. Um, but I, I hope it works out for both. It, it's sort of like when a trade goes down. Uh, when I was a little bit younger, I might hope the trade really backfired on the other team and benefited the the Mets. But I don't know. The, 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 this trade that happened in particular, um, it would be most enjoyable if Cano hadn't been suspended and hadn't struggled. And if Jared Kelenic had uh, done anything at the major league level that looked like he'd be successful, you know? Right. So sort of touching on all the Cano points here. But no, it, it, the, the, the Cano situation is a, is a weird one, right? I think that all of us can agree that the Cano that we got was not the Cano we hoped we'd get. Both because of just the natural, you know, passage of time with the way that you know his playing career has gone, also due to you know missing an entire season due to PEDs, all of those things taken together, we did not get the Cano we hoped we got. But I don't think we necessarily got the Cano that maybe we all feared we were going to get. I think that there were a number of people, myself included who don't watch a lot of West Coast games because they have to get up in the morning for work and hadn't really seen Cano play much since he went to Seattle. And maybe we thought that he was toast when he when he got here. And he wasn't. You know, again, whether that's PED related or not, that first season he had a rough first half in twenty nineteen and then had a really good second half in twenty twenty. He had a great shortened COVID season in twenty twenty. And then uh, you know, he got popped for PEDs again. So I think we actually got more out of the trade than some skeptics maybe thought we were going to get out of the trade from the Cano side. And I think the Diaz, you know, although he had a similarly down 2019 to Cano, Diaz has been more or less everything you could want a closer to be. Yes, I think we all wish he was maybe a little bit more consistent, but don't doesn't every team wish about that? Wish that about every single closer? Yeah, like that's just that's just what you wish for your closer, right? Like, it's just it is what it is, man. It's it's that's that's a story. So I think that you know, look, put it. We're gonna have a piece going up later this week about the trade on Amazing Avenue and look, reflecting back on it. And so I don't want to say too much, but I think the trade wound up being more in the Mets' favor than anybody could have thought at the time, which is kind of crazy to to think about that, but I, I think that's absolutely the case. Um, in addition, I will say that Cano has been a pleasant addition to the Mets in terms of everyone seems to think he's a great clubhouse guy and that, you know, that he is a, uh, a bit of mentor to a number of players. And that's great. That that's a, that's a fantastic thing that a veteran presence will bring to your team. That's, that's wonderful. And I'm very glad that the Mets got that, you know, from, from Cano. But I think that more than anything else, when you look at the way this team is constructed, even if Cano, no, let me rephrase that. Unless Cano started hitting like peak Yankee Cano, I am not entirely sure that he would have as much value to the team 
as any of the other DH options, just because the way that the season is playing itself out. You know, the Mets having Louis Guillaume, who is clearly the best defender on the team as their main backup middle infielder. The fact that you have Jeff McNeil playing a lot of second base, the fact that you have J.D. Davis playing third base, the fact that you have Alonzo and um, Thomas Smith playing first base. There's weren't a lot of places for Cano to play that weren't DH, and he wasn't hitting enough to be a DH right now. I, I, I truly don't know what he could have done to make that to make his roster spot seem valuable and useful to this team for the rest of the season. Unless he was hitting, like I said, like, like vintage, vintage Cano. And since he wasn't, some decisions had to be made. And look, I never in 100,000 years would have ever said that it makes more sense for the Mets to roster Travis Jankowski than Robinson Cano. Like, but that's, here we are, 2020, May 4th, 2022, I am saying Travis Jankowski has a bigger role on the 2022 Mets than Robinson Cano did. And that's crazy. But I think just looking at this team's specific needs, he didn't meet any of them right now. And while I don't disagree with you, I think he may not be toast. I think there's a good chance he is toast. But regardless, he needs to go to a team that has an op- that has an opportunity for him to get those at-bats. If the Mets were all firing on every offensive cylinder right now, including James McCann and Tomas Nito from behind the catching spot, then you can put up with a really weak-hitting Cano in the DH spot, hoping he gets hot for another month. But no one on the Mets outside of maybe Lindor, maybe Alonzo a little bit, no one is really offensively doing it right now. They're all, you know, a lot of weak, a lot of weak contact, a lot of luck when it comes to hitting. There just hasn't been a dominant offensive performance for this team. You can't waste roster spots where you need offense on somebody who's giving you no offense, and that's their only role on the team. Well, you just yeah, can't do it. Yeah, yeah. And and if the roster had been con- – uh, I don't even want to say constructed because it was kind of just the way it wound up, um, you might have been able to play it out where you gave him more time. But having those guys who are really just DHs and, and, and not to diminish Dom, but – um, it's rare to have a team where you have a Pete Alonzo and a Dom Smith who are both first baseman or TH and that's it. Um, and to his credit, Dom improved in the mm-hmm. time that they stuck him out in the outfield, but it seems pretty clear in the early going that uh, this version of the Mets does not want Dom Smith or J.D. Davis anywhere near the outfield. Right. Which, in a way... I'm glad that they've at least made that decision finally. After flirting with both of those guys as outfielders for so long, I'm glad they've at least said, you know what? This isn't working. Let's move on from this. Right, right. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I obviously hope it works out well for the Mets. Um, I do think Cano will probably land a major league roster spot with somebody. There's no reason that whether it's a contender who's dealing with injuries and is willing to give him a shot um, or a non-contender who says, Hey, we're terrible anyway. Like come, come here, get your reps, get your at bats. And if you're any good, we'll flip you in July. Uh, 
to to a team that has a need. So, yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll we'll see. But yeah, uh, I I do want to say though that there's a there is a certain set. We should also make note of this. That I I think this may have been overplayed in the media, but I want to make note of it. So apparently, Billy Epler went to. Um, Steve Cohen and said, listen, here are the different options we have. And Cohen said, make the baseball decision. So that means eating $40 million of Cano's contract that Cohen was okay with that. If that was the best baseball decision. And that is such a huge difference from the way the Mets have been run in the past. Now there are fans out there who, you know, are, are citing this as the greatest thing in team history. And I think by doing that, you're sort of to quote our friend, Allison McCake dancing on Cano's grave. And I, I don't love that. And I also don't love celebrating uh, something that was done purely because the team could afford to do it. I think it's a good sign that they're thinking about the baseball decisions first. However, I think it's sort of gross to make the fact that our that to celebrate the fact that our our owner is rich enough to eat forty million dollars and that Cano was washed up enough to get released. Like to me, it's just I don't know. I, I I don't think I'm Mr. Kumbaya Sunshine all the time, but I just feel like those two things are that those are not necessarily reasons to like throw a parade. I think it's good the Mets are thinking baseball first, but I also don't want to be a dick about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a completely fair reaction. I think this was not something to be thrilled and excited about, um, but something that you can look at and say, hey, that that's good. Uh, they, they did what they needed to do, and th- they made that decision for the right reasons. That's all. I, I know – Talking about it um, sort of before the rosters were cut and, and that decision had to be made, uh, I, I, that concept had come up in conversation with friends that were just like, okay, you know, I, I hope they, whatever they, they do, I hope they do it for baseball reasons. And before that really good game on, on Sunday night, Dom had struggled. Um, you could, in my opinion, have made a baseball argument that getting Dom a week of reps or two weeks of reps at, at Syracuse where he was getting four or five at-bats every day uh, and Cano had a little more time to do the same at the major league level, um, I think you can make an argument that that would have been a decision that was based on how the game was being played by those two players. But they they went the other way with it, and that makes sense too. Um, but yeah, there's I, I get that he used to be a Yankee. Um, I, I get that he got himself suspended multiple times, and in doing so, may have cost the Mets uh, not money, but some opportunity to to be successful in 2021. Um, but yeah, it's not for a guy who clearly had the talent over the course of his career to make the Hall of Fame. If not for those suspensions, that's uh, it's just kind of sad. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. one thing for a guy who's within our age range to just lose it and not be good anymore. That happens. That would be a that would be a different story, and and it would still not be something to celebrate if if you had that Hall of Fame 
level career uh, and then all of a sudden just didn't have it anymore. I, I don't know. I'm with you. Celebrating the demise is not the best look. And just being happy with the Mets doing the thing that had to be done, in the, in the opinion of many, um, that's good. But I don't uh, – two things. One, <laughs> uh, let's be upbeat about the guys who are still on the roster as a result of that decision and, and give them a chance if they struggle. And two, yes. if and when Cano is playing for some other team later this year and has a big hit against the Mets – Nobody is allowed to say they shouldn't have released them. Correct. Yes. <laughs> All that is fair. Um, last thing I want to say is I, I thought that, you know, in, in everyday life, all of us have to make decisions that are hard but are the right things to do. And I don't think anyone is going to be making a T-shirt when one of us has to, like, euthanize our pets. Right? That's a hard decision. That's the right thing to do. But people are selling T-shirts uh, celebrating this Cano being released, and I just feel like that's shitty. Yeah, That's I, all. I, I, I missed that, but uh, yeah, don't, don't do that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We had a no-hitter. We have, you know, Kano is off the team right now. The Mets won two of, three ga- two of the three games against the Phillies to make it seven series in a row that the team had won. They split the series with the Braves, and so that streak is over. They still have not lost a series this year. And while it would be fun to keep up that um, that streak, I think the Mets played pretty well against the Braves. You know, both games were kind of blown by the bullpen. Today, you know, we're recording this on Thursday night, Wednesday night, rather. Adam Adovino came in and just shit the bed. I hate that expression. It's so overused. But Adovino had pitched two days in a row. They brought him up for the third day, and the dude just couldn't get it out. And it was it was ugly to watch. And, I, you, you know... It just felt to me like the, the game was going to be in play until I, th- I think it was maybe when the fourth run scored. I was like, all right, this is over now. Let's let's just let's pack this up. And it turned out being a 9-2 loss. It was really – was it 10-2? I had a meeting at the end of the day. What, what was the final score, Chris? Oh, yeah, no, it was, it was 9. It was 9, okay, that's what I thought. But for some reason, it tends out right in my head. Um, but, yeah, just, you know, but I, I think that overall, you got to feel pretty good about where the team is right now. I think that the the concern is still the bullpen, and with Trevor May going down for at least a month, probably closer to two months, the bullpen is an even bigger issue. And I know you were very, very loudly and correctly beating the drum. They should have signed another reliever this offseason. And so, um, you know, you have every right to say I told you so about this. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we all felt like there was going to be a need for some moves to be done 
in the uh, around the All Star break to, to fortify the bullpen, and now it seems like that may not be able to wait till the All Star break. Yeah, yeah. In the very short term, between the Trevor May injury uh, and Adovino, obviously is not the only person to blame for the game that they lost today, but <laughs> he has a high walk rate and bringing him in with the bases loaded and having him walk the first guy he faces should not be surprising. Um, I know there aren't a ton of options on the roster who seem appealing to come into that situation, especially with a double header having happened just yesterday. Uh, and it, yeah, I, I get the situation wasn't ideal, so I'm not like super angry at Buckshaw Walter over it or anything, but Adam Adovino cannot come in with the bases loaded. That that should be a rule. <laughs> yes, here, here. Um, um, but yeah, I, the team is doing just fine despite the bullpen issues, but I, I think they should address it before they're in the middle of a, a slump. And I made this point earlier today before we recorded, but the Mets have still not lost a series on the season. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, at any team, no matter how good they are, at some point there's going to be a stretch that's not going to be enjoyable. So it would be nice if they could find a way to shore up the bullpen a little bit um, and maybe turn what might be a five-game losing streak at some point into a two-and-three stretch or even one-and-four. Right. Avoid those low points. That's all. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we have made the point on the show beforehand that the Mets are doing very well right now without anybody having a career season just yet. I think we can now officially say Tyler McGill is having a career season, even yeah. though, you know, he, he had a couple of earned runs tacked on today. By the way, were you watching the game today or no? Yeah. 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 Right. I, I had it on, and, you know, in the background. Yeah. Yeah, of course. While we were doing more important things for people that were paying us, probably. Um, but my question is: Did you think that he should have came out? That McGill should have come out for the sixth, or do you think after five he was done? Because I've kind of felt like he powered through the end of the fifth. I thought that was going to be it for him. Yeah, I, I didn't have any strong feeling in the moment. I mean, what the the runners he allowed in the sixth weren't like <clears throat> I don't know. It's not like he came in. Gave gave up three uh, smoked extra base hits, right? Right, right. So he looked like he was out of gas for sure by the by the end of those three batters. But um, I didn't have super strong feelings about it in the moment. So if that makes sense, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I don't think again. I don't think that Buck Walter should be fired for uh, <laughs> for letting him start the sixth inning. I just felt like it looked like maybe he was a little bit more done than than the others than the you know than to go out there for another inning. But that's okay. That's that's totally uh, a responsible decision. And uh, real quickly, we should we should t- touch on Buckshaw Walter. I know there are a lot of Mets fans who aren't in love with his in-game strategy and all that. I, I can't say that I think his in-game strategy is flawless by any means. But how are you feeling about Buck now that we're uh, a month or so into the season? Yeah, pretty good. I think the job is very unique and very hard to judge and certainly a job that we all only remember 
the bad decisions and tend to not remember the <laughs> the ones that work. Um, but there was a, a piece on The Athletic the other day that sort of hit on the, I don't know, the, the qualities that are working for him. Uh, I will admit that maybe I'm a little bit of a sucker for it because he's, he's certainly charismatic when he speaks publicly. And, uh, and all these little stories about him and small details and uh, paying attention to them and, and having strong opinions on them. Like that's the part that I can relate to personally. That's the, that it, it's the thing about Larry David's character and Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> that, uh, that I find relatable. So uh, the, the Mets are playing well. That's the most important thing. Uh, it seems like the players like him and, and respect him. Um, some of the notes, I forget whether it was in the athletic piece or just talked about on the broadcast by, uh, by Gary Cohen. I think it was in the athletic, but um, sort of the back and forth between Lindor and Showalter uh, in a good way where they're both just obsessed with baseball and yes. <laughs> uh, thinking about it all the time and, and, and have a really good dialogue between them. And look, we, we were not people who were worked up over the whole rat raccoon McNeil Lindor thing that happened about a year ago at this point. But I do think that part of the job of, of the manager is to, keep some kind of harmony within the clubhouse and not have anything blow up. And it's easy when the team's playing well, right? That That's always been our, we, we know this, that, that, <laughs> oh, a team's on pace to win a hundred games. Of course they all like each other. Right. Like, exactly. Why wouldn't they? Um, but so far it's just nice that there hasn't been a blow up. Um, that the players seem to be all in with him and he seems like a manager who, uh, despite maybe some of our concerns at the time that he was hired, he seems like he's better at listening to his players than younger managers were. And we may have assumed otherwise strictly because of age. Yes. And that's good. And, and again, I'll give credit. Allison shared, I think via retweet, um, but a video of Showalter talking about that time that the Orioles had to play in an empty stadium before COVID existed and him having perspective on listening to his players and knowing that he hadn't had the experiences they had and that he knew that there was more to it than he could answer himself. <laughs> just that, that self-awareness. So, so when she shared that, it just sort of opened a new page for me and on, on, on like what Showalter could be. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say, Oh, he's perfect. Um, everybody who's in that role is going to make some mistakes, but yes. Um, you know, to, to friends of mine who uh, really wanted him to be hired in the fall and I wasn't so sure. Um, I would say that so far that seems like they were right. Yeah, I, I concur with that. I, I think Bucks having a good season so far. Um, 
you know, again, he's going to make bad. I, I truly believe that there is almost no one on the planet, myself included, who actually knows how to manage a bullpen. And so there's going to be bad decisions with the bullpen. And, you know, there's going to be some head scratchers. But I think overall, I mean, the fact that Chris Bassett, who was in arbitration negotiation right now with the Mets because they couldn't come to a term, the fact that he says he wants to stick around long term, in part because of Buckshaw Walter, while he's trying to get more money out of the team, that shows you how much of a good influence Showalter has been. He Players want to play for him. And again, I think that you and I are the same in that we we try to think about things in a logical way and we we try to look for empirical evidence that we can use to say this is why this is happening. But I think with a manager's role, there's almost none of that. <laughs> it is very, very hard to come up with any sort of empirical evidence for what a manager does. Yeah. And what a manager does well. And so if the players want to play for him and the team is winning and he does interesting press conferences after the game, I think I'm pretty good with the guy for right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I thought it was good too. Um, there was a note somewhere uh, about he knew that David Peterson was going to be optioned. Yes. The AAA. This was in the athletic piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was in there. So I think I've spoiled pretty much all of the piece. So if you, if you don't subscribe, you're welcome. <laughs> if you haven't write for the athletic, uh, hey, what are you going to do? Um, Sorry, Mark Craig. <laughs> but yeah, that he had, he knew Peterson was going to be optioned and he had let Scherzer and Bassett know uh, as sort of his, you know, some of his veteran guys in the clubhouse on, on the pitching side at least um and and yeah the, it, it just seems like he's way more fit for the role than the last few certainly the last two managers were um, and i will say that you know i think that luis rojas probably has a career as a manager in a couple of years the guy seems to have good baseball instincts. I just think that he came into a situation that was so... I mean, look, the guy was hired by Brody Van Wagen and a first-time GM by the Wilpons, who were actively trying to sell the team in the middle of it, and his first season was during COVID. <laughs> I think that guy got a, got a raw deal, right? Like, that's... Oh, yeah. that's uh, but I, I, don't think, I don't think the Mets should have kept him. I'm, I'm not advocating for that. I just think that, you know, that guy... It, it's harder to get mad at that guy for his performance than... You know, then it's not. I just feel like that guy got a raw deal. So I think he has a job somewhere. Mickey Callaway can fuck off forever. Um, in that athletic interview, I believe piece, I believe they referred to him as having quote lecherous incompetence. Yeah, <laughs> which is an all-time great phrase. Um, so you know, it's a uh, yes. I do think that he is he is the best suited of the Mets managers recently. And somebody in our Amazing Avenue Slack, I'm going to not reveal them because they might not want me to say this publicly, says that he's as bad of an in-game manager as Terry Collins. And I just feel like that can't be true. <laughs> that, yeah. that cannot be true. I don't know. Yeah, no. Um, At I, least from, from my eye test, th that's not true. Yeah, I, I agree. And we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But so far, so good. Um it certainly helps when you have the roster that he has. Aside from the bullpen, he has a roster of um, 
there's not anybody in the rotation. And I'll admit when the season started, I might not have said this about Tyler or Miguel, but clearly right now, nobody in the rotation is a borderline major leaguer. Um, right. David Peterson has pitched well as the guy who has been the borderline major leaguer. Um, and I think he's starting to prove that maybe he's more than that. Right. Right. And on the position player side, even though they still have um, less defensive flexibility than you would like to see, I, there, there's nobody there. Travis Jankowski is probably, you know, he and Guillaume are probably the guys that you would maybe question and they've both been solid. Um, so it's nice when you have those options to work with that, uh, you know, there's not, uh, I don't know. Brad Emis is not on this team. Yeah. That's, that's a good, good poll, by the way. <laughs> That's a real nice pull. Sorry, there. sorry, Brad. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Maybe you're a good dude. I don't know. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I think we've uh, we've trashed uh, Brad Emus enough for tonight. Um, let's uh, let's get to our, our music picks. So, Chris, what is your uh, what is your music pick for this evening? So, while we were you know recording the episode, I was looking back at our list, our spreadsheet, and I am shocked. Like I, I searched for it multiple times. I scrolled up and down. I'm like, did I really never recommend an album by them? Uh, but it appears I, I did not. So Kikagaku Moyo is absolutely one of my favorite bands right now. Has been for the last few years. Um, they are touring this year and putting out a new record that comes out, I believe, this week. Uh, but they're going on an indefinite hiatus after that and we'll see it's one of those things i've seen bands do that before and you know eventually come back and that's great and i hope it happens here but somehow i have never recommended one of their records i i I don't i don't quite understand so my favorite from start to finish came out in 2018 it's called masana temples um if you're not familiar with them, they are a Japanese psych rock band. Um, you know, a couple of guitars, bass, drums, and a sitar. And uh, the sitar is not on every track, but it all works very well together. They do very calm, relaxing tracks very well. They do loud, faster songs very well. Uh, they're phenomenal live. They, for New York City shows, they have two sold-out shows happening um, this month in Brooklyn. And then they're back at Brooklyn Steel in October for what they are billing as their final North American show. Um, So I will be at more than one of those. (laughs) But yeah, um, just, just a really great band. And, uh, and that although some of my individual favorite tracks are from earlier albums of theirs, uh, you know, this one just kind of sums it all up. Like if it, it, to me, it's the starting point. And then if you enjoy it, go back and listen to the early, earlier records too. Um, so yeah, yeah. Kikagagumoyo, Masana Temples. 
Very cool. Yeah, that's a band that every time I've listened to them, I've enjoyed them, but I don't often think to listen to them. So I need to correct that and be more be more uh, mindful of that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, and one more amazing avenue connection to that. Uh, we saw them, my wife and I, for the first time when we were in Australia at King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizards Giz Fest in Melbourne, and uh, we made a point to see them because Amazing Avenue alum Brock Mahan, uh, he and his wife specifically mentioned that they had seen them play in Brooklyn once and, uh, you know, like, don't miss them. Make sure you see them when you're at this festival. So that's how we got started. So not only am I disappointed in myself for not making the recommendation on music grounds, but but there was an amazing avenue, uh, you know, seed that was planted that, that <laughs> wound up getting us into the band. So um, really coming full circle here. So uh, for my pick this week, I am going to close out a trilogy of picks that I've done. Two weeks ago, I picked the Ramones. Last week, it was Plosives. I'm going to stick on the punk uh, train for one more week. And this is the most punk uh, pick I'm going to pick. But so I, I recently finished reading a book called Corporate Rock Sucks, The Rise and Fall of SST Records by Jim Rowland. And it's a, it's a really good book. It details, um, you know, when you're talking about SST Records, you're kind of talking about Black Flag for the first, you know, five or six years of the, of the label. But it goes past then into uh, basically the the fall of SST in the late 90s. It's a, it's a great book. If you have any interest in that sort of stuff, I would recommend it. But so it got me thinking about um, just Black Flag in general and I am somebody who came to Black Flag relatively late in life. I, I don't think I really got interested in Black Flag until I turned 30, which is like the exact opposite path people take. You know, like Usually when you're 16, you get into the loudest, fastest, most hardcore punk you can. And then by the time you're 30, you've mellowed out. But like, I had a baby and was like, I need more Black Flag in my life. So um, I got really into Black Flag for a couple of years there. I went to go see Flag, the offshoot that has a bunch of former members of Black Flag in it. Um, great great show i saw from flag but so anyway i went back and i revisited my favorite black flag release which is actually not a an official release it is called the 1982 demos which was the only time that the lineup of henry rollins greg ginn des cadena chuck dukowski and chuck biscuits recorded together biscuits was uh he he joined the band on the damaged tour and then stuck around for this but was gone by the time they made my war in uh, 83, I believe that was. So this has a bunch of tracks that would wind up on future Black Flag albums, but also has a couple of tracks by Des Cadena, which will wind up on his his solo project, the DC3 um, records. And I love Black Flag with two guitars. I think that Dukowski's bass playing is better when he's playing among two guitars. I think Chuck Biscuits is just like... He just beats the shit out of the drums. He is probably the most aggressive drummer Black Flag ever had, and that's saying something. I love the way Biscuit's drums on this. And this is, it seems like this is a time when the band was actually getting along, which almost never happened in the history of Black Flag. <laughs> and I'm sure they weren't like the best of friends here, but this is before Dukowski was kicked out by Ginn. This is before Rollins and Ginn were at speaking. Um, and, uh, you know, this has, like, it has My War, it has Slip It In, some tracks that would become, you know, big, you know, famous, iconic Black Flag songs. But I prefer these versions almost to a number more than I do the official studio releases. Um, and 
this seems to be, at least to me, this is the last time that Black Flag is a band and isn't just Gin's band, and specifically isn't Gin and Rollins fighting over the band. So while it still has Slip It In, which is not a great message, uh, especially in 2022, but you know, even back in 82, it probably wasn't the most uh, cool thing to write a song about. I feel like this has this sort of balances Gin's just uh, from all accounts pretty shitty personality with other guys in the band, and it, it's like I said, if you have any interest in Black Flag, this is where I would say you probably haven't heard this, or maybe that I, I'm not. I don't know what you're listening to. I can't presume that, but if you've only heard the official releases, I think this is a really eye-opening listen. Uh, this one, the band starts to slow down, get a little bit heavier, but it's 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 well worth your time. And uh, yeah, there are ten tracks that were recorded as demos, and there is one. And then there are uh, one, two, three. There are six tracks that were recorded on a uh, radio show that are uh, put on the on the back of this, which is a uh, you know a, a a very just uh, you know not not a not a terrible. Uh, addition to it but i don't think you really need them to me it's the 10 demos that are really the star here but so like i said if you're a punk person at all black flags 1982 demos check that out and i promise next week it won't be angry white guys anymore uh from my picks i will i will pick something else next week i promise but this is this is the end of my punk face you know it's funny i said i got into black flag when i was turning when i just turned 30 i'm about to turn 40 so that's probably why i'm back maybe every 10 years i'll have a punk phase which should be really fun when i'm turning 80 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yes uh yeah no i i i love black flag and um i don't have any tattoos but there was a time when i was like 20 years old and i thought i would get a black flag tattoo uh-huh. um i'm still okay having none <laughs> <laughs> but but you know uh yeah they they were they were pretty great uh, and i yeah. do like that you had your own little uh trilogy here that ended on may the 4th that's true. Un- unintentional. That true. But... Un- unintentional Star Wars reference there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, that was fun. I, I, I almost picked the, um, the soundtrack to The Mandalorian for that reason. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Because Ludwig Gorenson's work on that is amazing. Yeah. Um, but again, I've just been, I, I've been in a punk mood the last few weeks. So Yeah, no, to, to be able to step into a universe that was created with John Williams' masterpieces and then stand out for your own music. Yeah. Man. Yeah, that's something. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, folks, thank you for listening. We truly appreciate it. Um, it's fun to podcast when the Mets are good. Who'd have thought this would be fun? But here we are. It's, <laughs> it's fun to talk about the Mets when they're good. Uh, let's... Um, Let's keep that going. Until then, go to AmazingAvenue.com for all your Mets news, needs, whatever you need we got there. Check out the other amazing Amazing Avenue podcasts. They're all doing fantastic work. Uh, go to uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Follow us there. Chris has been doing a great job with the Instagram page lately, so make sure to check that out. Uh, you can also find this podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Amazon. Where you get podcasts, you can find this. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get that. Those things help us. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McChain. I am on Twitter at Brian Eats and Until next time, let's go Mets. Mm-hmm.